If you have a Bible, I would certainly, uh, I would invite you to open it to Acts chapter number 6. I have a full disclaimer this evening. Uh, I was joking with a few different people throughout this week. Um, I have preached so much in my time here through the book of Acts, at least the first uh, 10 chapters, that there really is no portion of our reading from the past two weeks that we have not, you know, maybe not literally you and, 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 and me, but that I have not taught on. Uh, in my time here. And so I was wrestling a little bit with what I was going to do this week, but I, I, I really I couldn't get away from Acts chapter 6 and really what is happening in the life of the early church that we may oftentimes overlook, but has such a, um, a powerful impact and influence on really still the church um, today. And so I, I wanted to wrestle a little bit tonight with Acts chapter 6 and maybe just kind of dream um, a little bit together on what that might look like for us and uh, what what we learn as a church today from that passage, especially when we we're we're kind of dealing with um, some some growing pains ourselves, just like the early church was in Acts chapter six. And so um, that's why I couldn't really get away from the passage that we're going to look at tonight. So if you've been reading with us through our Bible reading plan, we have read the Gospel of Luke. We've now been working um, our way through Acts. I think today was Acts chapter nine um, for me. I don't know where you are in that process. I'm just telling you that if you're not at Acts chapter 9, you're in the wrong place. So I'm helping set the uh, uh, the bar there. So uh, read 9 uh, today. If you've read past that, then just don't spend time in God's Word for the next few days and let the rest of us catch up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking, Drew. I didn't mean that. You, have, you still have to be in it. All right, so um, <clears throat> just go slower. Let the rest of us catch up with you. So anyway, but la- at the end of last week, Friday... Uh, we read in Acts chapter 6. And so we've been working our way through the early church, and uh, we will soon be upon some of the missionary journeys of Paul, and uh, we will jump into some other writings in the New Testament as we go that kind of chronologically fit the scheme of what's happening with the church in the first century um, in in the book of Acts. And so um, that's kind of why things will be broken up like they'll be broken up in our Bible reading plan. But I was thinking about Acts chapter 6, and uh, and it, it made me think about, uh, some some work that I've been doing around here a little bit lately. So uh, Corey's done some some pretty cool things, uh, renovation type things in the youth room with kind of their set design and um, how the atmosphere is up there and just kind of some lights and stuff that he's been working on. Uh, I think I've shared this before, but I, I love that kind of stuff. I love design. I love um, uh, creating a cool atmosphere for worship experiences. I just I've always enjoyed that in my past. Um, just kind of creating a better setting and, and what happens because of that and the environment that it creates for people to have uh, worshipful experiences. Is it necessary? No, uh, but it's pretty cool when everything comes together, what, what kind of impact it has when you create a setting that is more, uh, or, or at least to me, seems to be more beneficial to the moving of uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, I only bring that up because we've been working a lot lately with LED light strips. Now, you may not have ever worked with any of those, or you may have all sorts of things running in your mind, and that's okay. Uh, but one of the cool things about LED light strips is they're really, really inexpensive, and they're super, super bright. So when you put them somewhere or use them in some kind of design, they are very multi-purpose. Um, they're, they're, they're easy to put lots of them together, <clears throat> and they create just a really cool kind of kind of visual effect for whatever it is that you're doing. It's pretty awesome the amount of footage of LED light strips that you can put together. Now, I'm not giving you a lesson on LED light strips. That's not what's important. But what is interesting about them is as cool as they are 
And as awesome as they look when you have them together, they're also <clears throat> extremely sensitive at times. If you don't get the right pieces connected, if you don't get everything exactly how it needs to be, it can throw everything else uh, off in, into chaos. Everything might be looking great. One little wire gets crossed that takes you hours upon hours upon hours to find, and it really makes everything else mess up, even though it just seems to be a small piece, one little uh, significant nothing. But that one connection that you spent hours troubleshooting to discover for millions of LED lights, that one little bitty connection might be your problem for why the rest of them are not working. Now, when, when all the lights are working as they should, the design is incredible. But when you get that one connection messed up, the whole thing breaks down. And as I was thinking about that, and, I, and I'm thinking about it because Corey and I spent lots of time changing out cables, changing out light fixtures, changing out LED strips, taking off some of the back stuff to get to some of the old wires, only to discover that it really wasn't any of that at all. It was just one uh, little thing that was kind of messing everything up. But I was, I was thinking about that, that, that one single connection that's not working, that throws everything off really kind of just gave me a picture of what can happen in the church when connections are not being made or when that one piece is not where it needs to be or that one part is not working or functioning like God desires for it to function. Now, Paul gives us a little bit different picture when it comes to the church. He gives a little, little different picture than um, LED lights. He compares the church to a body. Now, this should be a little relevant for a lot of us in the room. If you were here this past Sunday, we talked about the body of Christ. We talked about how uniquely a body is designed and from many different members functions together as one, which makes the body as incredible as it is. And Paul wrote these words. This is a repeat from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He wrote, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And so he's describing the church as many members that make up one body. Now, specifically, he's talking about the body of Christ being displayed to the world. But Paul goes on to write, also in 1 Corinthians 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, this might seem a little strange, but, but this exact scenario made me think of those lights. When one light is messed up, the entire strand suffers the consequences. They may work some, but they don't work for sure like they should. They're missing important pieces. When they're all working as they should, you don't notice a single LED. What you notice is the entire strand lighting up the room. It's a, it's a very interesting thing. One little piece can mess it all up. But when it's all working together, you don't even see one little piece. It's a seamless strand of lights. I thought about that, and I thought, so it is with the church. There was no one light that was meant to stand out or do the most work or carry all the weight. It doesn't work that way when it comes to the church. It doesn't work that way when it comes to the body of Christ. It doesn't work that way with LED light strips. But when all the lights are working together, the set comes to life. I was processing that thought. And I decided, for me, I want the church to come to life like that. 
I want us to be shining the brightest light to the world around us. And the early church in Acts chapter 6 has to wrestle with this exact type of moment that we're going to explore for a little bit tonight. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, I think we learned a couple things when it comes to the expansion of the kingdom of God that I think are relevant for all churches. But I think what Paul's talking about or what uh, Luke is writing about in Acts chapter 6 I think it's really relevant for us because as a church family, we're experiencing some similar growth types of pains when it comes to church life. And so I just wanted to look at a few of them together tonight. Acts chapter 6. We're going to go through a few of these. We're going to start in verse number 1. I just want to point a couple of things out about what happens when expansion to the kingdom of God takes place. Here's, here's the first thing. Healthy churches experience growth. This is a good thing, by the way. This is positive. Anything, by the way, that's healthy experiences growth. The opposite of that is death, right? So, like, you don't want that. And so, healthy things continue to grow. This is true with healthy churches. Here's what it says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I want to think back just for a few minutes. We'll pause here. I want to think back to some of the moments that we've read in the beginning of Acts, mainly from Acts 1 to Acts 5, leading up to this moment. We've seen Jesus ascend, right? He's resurrected from the grave, spent time with his disciples, those who are following him. Now he's ascended. They have literally watched him in whatever way this looks like float up into heaven. I don't know what that experience must have been like. Receiving their commission to go and be his witnesses to the world. That's an extremely monumental moment in the life of the church. Then following that, enter Pentecost, right? Enter 3,000 people getting saved when the Holy Spirit falls down and people begin to present the gospel in all types of languages. This, by the way, is a huge moment in the life of the church. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John encounter a lame man at the temple. They heal the lame man in the name of Jesus, and everything begins to turn upside down. By the way, experiencing that type of miraculous work, that changes things, right? Monumental moment in the life of the church. Because of that, Peter and John get arrested. They get beaten. They get threatened with their lives, and they say, you know what? We don't care what you do to us. We are going to serve God rather than men. Do what you want. And the church, again, begins to explode as people see their courage and their faith and their boldness. And the church continues to grow in these moments, monumental moments in the early days of the church. You get to Acts chapter 5, and you encounter this couple who lies to the church, and the Spirit of God drops them dead in their tracks. You think, Danny, that's a weird moment. I agree monumental moment of the seriousness of the movement of God that is happening in the early church. You know what happened even after that moment? More people came to faith in Jesus and the church continued to grow. Why? Because healthy churches experience growth. Were they seeing more church attenders? Not necessarily. That wasn't their goal. Were they seeing more money come in? Probably not. They were pretty poor people. Were they seeing new buildings uh, 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 being built? No, that's probably not happening. Not that any of these things are bad, by the way. 
Here's what they were seeing. Don't miss it from Acts chapter 6, verse 1. The disciples were increasing in number. That's what they were seeing. You say, Danny, what do you mean? They were experiencing growth because healthy churches experience growth. You say more buildings? No. More money? No. More people following Jesus, right? Going from death to life, that's what they were seeing. Thousands of people have come to faith in Jesus and are growing in their relationship with Him. The church was doing what the church was designed to do. Guess what they were doing? Making disciples. You say, Danny, that's shocking. Of course it's not. It's what Jesus told them to do. They were doing what they were designed to do. Jesus, before His ascension, makes that famous statement to them, you will be My witnesses. And that's exactly what happened. They witnessed to the greatness of Jesus and people's lives began to be changed. Now, the, the phrase in these days, the church was seeing increasing numbers of disciples all paints this picture of the work of God as the church continued and continued and continued to grow. Now listen, sometimes, now in these days, right, think about that moment in Acts chapter 6, it can mean different seasons of growth. For the early church, obviously there were lots of numbers being added because healthy churches are growing churches, but that growth in different seasons can be different than simply increasing in number, right? This could be uh, new members joining the mission of Jesus through the local church, or families seeing children get saved, or disciples growing in their understanding of Jesus and who He's called them to be, or more people using their gifts to serve, or more people sharing their faith. Like, regardless of the growth, healthy churches are growing churches. Now, I want you to, I want you to think about something. You say, Danny, they were, they were growing. That's awesome. Did, did that mean that there were no needs? Of course not. We're going to see there were plenty of needs. Did it mean everything was comfortable? No, not at all. It wasn't always comfortable. Did it mean everything happened how they wanted it to happen? Probably not. They had no idea the things that were going to happen in the days to come. But what it did mean is that they were doing what Jesus commanded. They were making disciples. And this is also true of us. Sometimes, for healthy churches to experience growth, we have to give up what's comfortable for what's commanded. Now, it's difficult at times. You say, Daniel, are you about to hit us with something crazy? No, not at all. But what I am saying is there are times where the Lord may shift us toward a different focus for a season because He's working in an incredible way and He wants people who are comfortable to get out of the way so that people who want to follow His commands will get in the way. I think that's important for us always to remember, especially since, I think I can speak for most of us in this room, we've been in church for many years. Comfort in church is normal to us. We like what we like, we know what we like, we want what we like. But what if what we like gets in the way of what God has commanded? The question is, will we go with what's comfortable or will we go with what's commanded? And that is a question that all healthy, growing churches will encounter. Can I tell you something, friends? We are no different than what this church in Acts chapter 6 will begin to experience. Healthy churches experience growth. By the way, I want to be one of those churches. You say, hey, does that mean we're going to continue to grow by thousands of people? No. 
Don't live in an area where thousands of people are coming in who are unreached for Jesus, okay? Don't get crazy. But it does mean that he still wants us to have an impact on this community and the rest of the world, whatever way that might look. But comfortable is not what's going to get us there. Healthy churches experience growth. Let me show you the second thing. Growth produces needs. Now I'm about to meddle a little bit. Is that all right? You okay with that? I guess it doesn't matter because... I'm the one talking, and it would be awkward if you walked out because that's not what happens in churches. So you're going to do what's comfortable. That'd be weird, right? Growth produces needs. Go back to Acts 6, verse 1. I'm going to stay there for a minute. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, praise God, a complaint. You mean, Danny, when the church was increasing in number, when it was healthy and growing, a complaint arose? Yes, a complaint in the midst of the greatest church in history. Right? Like if you think your church should not have complaints, go back to the greatest one we've ever seen that, by the way, every church since that moment has been trying to get back to. You ever heard that phrase? We just got to get back to being a New Testament church. We just got to get back to being an Acts, an Acts church. Right? Like we've all been trying to get back there and do what Jesus commanded us to do. I don't know if you know this, that early church, it wasn't perfect either. You ever heard that, that phrase, if you find the perfect church, leave it? Why? You're going to mess it up, right? <laughs> now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, look at verse 1, sorry, I got off track a little bit. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I put a little question here. How many of you have ever had a lot of people together and have not heard a complaint? Anybody? As a matter of fact, if you haven't heard a complaint from a small group, that's, that's okay. The larger that group gets, the more likely you are to have a complaint at some point in time. This is not new to us. This is not new to the early church. Listen, as the early church grew, so did complaints. So did problems. So did needs. Now in this case, listen, the complaints are warranted. I'm not even just talking about the whiny complaints that nobody cares about because you want something your way instead of God's way. That's different. We'll talk about that another day. I'm talking about genuine complaints, right? Like, Danny, we don't have enough space. Or, Danny, we need a bigger room. Or, Danny, we don't have enough money. Or, Danny, we need some new facilities. Or, Danny, we need new staff. Well, listen, I'm talking about good complaints, right? Healthy churches grow. Growth produces Needs. In this case, somebody's complaining because widows are legitimately being neglected. Now, put a little side note here, by the way. I think churches are still today neglecting widows. It's a little sad, actually, when we think about it. Now, that's just a little short note there. Listen, Exodus 22, we find how God loves widows. James chapter 1, we get a word about how God loves widows. What I think is important to recognize is that Healthy churches, when growth happens, there are needs that arise, and those complaints are oftentimes justifiable types of complaints. I put another little side note, by the way. If growing churches experience problems, then I'm praying that we experience problems. Amen? No problems, no complaints, no needs. Maybe we're not doing anything. Hey, you know what you don't hear complaints from? A dead person. Right? 
Danny, you know, man, my back's been hurting so bad. I've been doing stuff this weekend and working hard, and I had to do this over there. And here's what I would say. Man, that's a real, a real complaint. I understand that that hurts. It hurts because you've been doing something, right? A dead person doesn't have complaints. I don't want to be a dead church. I want to be growing. I want to be healthy. And that growth oftentimes produces needs. I heard, this, this is last year sometime, it was not in this season, I believe it was in the season before, but I heard this statement by Doc Rivers. Anybody know who Doc Rivers is? Who is Doc Rivers? He is a great NBA coach, maybe, if you, that's an opinion, I guess. Uh, Doc Rivers won a championship with the Celtics, now he's with uh, the 76ers. Anyway, he was at a press conference last year, and he made this really awesome statement about the needs that his team was facing. The reporters were kind of hounding in on him. They'd had a lot of injuries. They weren't meeting expectations. There were a lot of problems that were kind of in their way that they were wrestling through. And so Doc Rivers, Coach Rivers, he responded to the questions about the problems they were facing with this statement. He said, you might see them as problems on the outside, but our team in-house, we don't see them as problems. We see them as possibilities. I thought to myself, you know what? This old uh, savvy NBA head coach might have a good message for the church, the growing, healthy church that experiences needs today. Do we see those needs as problems or do we see those needs as possibilities? Do we see complaints because we're seeing growth and if they are genuine complaints, are we embracing the growing pains that the Lord wants to do, not as problems, but as possibilities? Let me show this third thing, because this one's really long. So I needed to get to the third point in our discussion tonight. Another thing I feel like the Acts chapter 6 church teaches us about the expansion of the kingdom is that God provides ministers to meet those needs. Now, I'm excited about this moment because you might be looking at me and thinking, yeah, amen. That's why God sent you here, Danny. You're a godsend. We love you. At least I think that's what you're thinking. That's what I tell myself every night before I go to bed at night, you know. I have this little, I have this recording that I play on my phone back to me, and it's just me talking about how great I am. That way I'm ready uh, for the next day. No, I'm just kidding. God provides ministers to meet those needs. But I want, to, I want you to see the ministers that God provides. Look at, look at verse 2. We've got to move on a little bit. Oh, I made it through verse 1. I apologize for that. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. Look at this. And the twelve, that, that's the apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples. I don't know exactly what that full number is at this point. Thousands have been added to the church. I don't know if this is like a massive lend me your ear kind of moment. I don't know what's happening or how many people are in this moment, but whoever that full number was, right? The apostles, the 12, they've gathered this full number, and here's what they said. It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Now, I'm pause again for a moment because I've read this verse many times before, uh, before you know this study, before preparing any kind of teaching on this. I've read it many times, and I've always thought, did the 12 think that they were too good to serve tables? Did they think that this task 
was beneath them. Because that's what it sounds like when we read it. It's like the apostles are like, I'll tell you what, can't be worrying with these widows today. I got way more important things to deal with, right? That's what it sounds like to me. Now, the reason why this was a burden on me is because this is contrary to what I've always been taught and trained in ministry. I've always known pastors and churches and and, and leaders to do so much more than simply preach the Word. Now, I know, right, all jokes aside, most people probably do think, Danny, what do you, what's your actual job? I work at the church. No, I mean, not on Sundays. What do you actually do during the week? Well, I, I work here, in case anybody's wondering about what actually happens there. But honestly, when it comes to, to pastoring and leading, there's so much more than just preaching the Word. As a matter of fact, I was thinking through a list of random things that our staff encounters on a weekly basis that isn't what they would say is in their job descriptions. And I would agree with them 100%. As a matter of fact, if we went back just in the short time that I've been here, the list was actually pretty funny. I should have actually put it in here so, so that we could read it. But here's what I actually did. I just looked back at the past two weeks. Because people will ask us sometimes, hey, what do you do on Monday? Or, or what does it look like on Thursday? Well, I'll be honest with you. It, I don't know what, what tomorrow is going to look like. I know what I got planned, but I don't mean that's going to happen. And so I was writing a few of these down. We just recently bought a cricket. Anybody familiar with a cricket? I wasn't until we bought one, right? So church bought a cricket. So in case you didn't know that, we have one. In case you need to use it sometime. Anyway, we recently bought a cricket. We've been making some different designs that we've been wanting to do for the church. But we started looking at indoor signage. A lot of people have been complaining about not visitors don't know where to go. Um, when we've hosted big gatherings here with other churches, they have no idea. They've never been here. They don't know where to go. They don't even know where to park to come into the fellowship hall. Everything kind of looks the same from the outside. They have no idea where to go, right? And so we bought this little cricket. We started printing off some vinyl. We looked into what it would cost to do some indoor signage. It was ridiculous. And so I'll be honest, here's what we decided. We could design those things and print off some vinyl, put it on some plexiglass. How hard could that be? And so several weeks of random work, we got some indoor signage done. By the way, it is harder than it looks, so we may pay somebody next time. Or I was thinking about some of the, the, the church merch. That's what we like to call it, right? The church merch that we've been working on a little bit. Miss Sid hates me for this, but I don't care. She can just... She'd be mad at me for a little while, and then we'll be okay. But uh, Miss Sid had a had a, a heat press that she was using for some different things, and she's allowed us to take it up here and for the church to use it. And so we've been kind of messing around with a few things. And so we've been designing some shirts. We've got some pullovers, actually, right out here. We're taking orders. Not for us, although maybe should have started a side gig, I guess. But for cost... Uh, we're able to design some stuff with our church logo on it. So listen, we've been buying stuff from Sam's, like Members Mark, you know, brand stuff. And we've been putting the logo on it. And so listen, it's been, it's been pretty fun. We're getting pretty good with a cricket. We're getting pretty good at not melting shirts or cups or plastic items um, anymore. Listen, we just ran. I, I'm not really sure how it works. In my mind, Evan kind of configured it, which was great. But we just put a little switch hub in the sound booth. And we ran cables all over the campus. So now most every room where people are who aren't in our services can have the live stream wherever they are on campus. So we're pretty excited about how, you know, most of the time you plug those things in and they don't work. We plugged it in and it came on. And it was like, yeah, like this is pretty cool. We just fixed some of our network issues. Our network's been down for a while. So they gave us a price on how much it was going to cost to get them to fix everything. So here's what we did. We went, hey, those couple hundred bucks you were going to do for running wires, 
got Corey Jeffcoat. Like, we'll just put him in the ceiling. He can run those wires. Just take that off for us. So listen, when you come by here and you expect to find us somewhere, you may have to page us because I don't know where we will be on campus because there may be something crazy uh, that's going on. Now, that's just the past couple of weeks around here for us. Now, I'm not sharing these because any of our staff wants additional praise from you. Matter of fact, I'm sharing it because if you think it's ugly, just tell us it's pretty. All right, we worked hard on it. Okay. Also, it was not professionally done. So know that uh, before it ever happens. If it was ugly, I told Miss Sid that I was going to say she designed it, and so everybody would be mad at her uh, instead of me. But listen, I, I'm not telling you this so that we can get additional praise. You guys love us well. We, we, don't, we don't have any, any issues with our jobs. We, we thank you for that. We're honored to serve here at First Baptist, and there are always different needs that come up, come up throughout any given week that we are happy to assist with. That's not the point. And this is also not the point that the 12 are trying to make in Acts chapter 6, verse 2. They're not too good to serve tables, and they're not looking to get out of work or get out of serving. That's not their point. They can serve tables. We can make signs. All right? That's not the point. They're just focusing on how God structured His church to operate. Let me, let me give you a, a grander picture of this from Ephesians chapter number 4. Let me read a couple verses to you. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in Love. Now, I don't know if you caught this. That was a lot. Did you catch the difference in the way church is done today oftentimes versus how the early church functioned? You say, Danny, what do you mean? The gifts mentioned for church leaders are there for this purpose. You ready? Let me remind you. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I don't know if that phrase sounds a little different than what our typical way of doing things in churches across America is today, because here's the, here's the reverse side. Let's pay professionals to come in, and they do all the work that we tell them to do. Well, that's a little different than the picture of the early church. The saints are being equipped for the work of the ministry. What we call people who do the work of ministry are ministers. What the early church called ministers were saints who existed in the body of Christ. We call ministers paid staff. The early church called ministers every saint who's been gifted by God to serve. I love the difference here. Why? Because together and only together can we mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. What happens when that takes place? Paul told us in Ephesians 4, when each part is working properly, it makes 
the body grow. It's a beautiful thing when, when everybody who's a part of the body of Christ realizes that we've all been designed uniquely to serve here together because without each other, we can't do what God's called us to do. You say, well, Danny, we pay you for that. Listen, I am very grateful for what you pay me. I am very grateful to be here. Please don't mistake that. I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to be here serving God every day. But God has called me here to equip our members to do the work of the ministry. He has not called me here because I need to do the ministry of the 300 plus people who go to church here. That, my friends, is impossible. We call that burnout, and Danny begins working at Walmart. That's what we call that. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. It's not growing churches. Danny Boudreaux does not grow the church. doesn't happen that way. What grows the church is when the body of Christ is working together, each one uniquely gifted and placed in their right purpose to be serving God and doing the work of the ministry. I'm not sharing this so that you feel bad, by the way. I, I literally put that in my notes. I thought after I say this, everybody's going to be like, wow, Danny, I hate you. So I, I, I did. I put a little note in here. Tell them that you're not sharing this to make them feel bad. I really am telling you this for encouragement. And you might be thinking, you must be crazy to think this sounds encouraging. But listen to me. Here's exactly why this is encouraging. Look at it. Every member is a minister. It's a beautiful reality to know that you were not created just to sit in that chair. You are not placed here to do nothing. You're not insignificant. You're not unwanted. You're not unneeded. You're a vital piece member in the body of Christ equally as much as me, if not more. Be encouraged that you, my friends, are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not negative what the 12 are saying in this verse. They knew something that every growing church knows. The 12 couldn't do what needed to be done alone. God never designed the church to work that way. The question is, have we got it backwards? Look at verse 3. Wow, Danny, stop it and go. I agree. Therefore, brothers, right? We can't, it's not right for us to stop preaching the word, serve tables. Why? Because they're better than that? No, no, no. Because everybody's got a purpose and we should all be serving in that capacity. So they said, therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Together, pause here, they chose people who could meet the needs. Not just anybody, by the way. They give some very specific characteristics. I don't know why I pointed at the TV. They were looking for people who were faithfully following after Jesus. I also want you to notice this. Don't miss it. Whom we will appoint to this duty. I don't know the last time you've had somebody appoint you for something, but typically it's, it's a place of honor. Now, you may have been appointed for things that you didn't necessarily want to do, so I guess I can't say that. But here's what I kept thinking in my mind. If the President of the United States, you pick whichever one you like most from all of history, all right? I don't care. 
Doesn't have to be the current president. You pick whichever one you like best. Imagine him rolling up at your door, and he says, I want to appoint you for a role in our country. Now, you may not want to do it, but here's why I can guarantee it. You're going to brag that the president of the United States rolled up to your house to appoint you for a special assignment, right? I mean, I ain't doing it because that's dumb, but he ain't come to your house. He came to mine. This is what's happening. Appointing means honor. These people are being honored as they're being appointed to serve. <clears throat> Look at verse 4. we got to hurry up. But we will devote ourselves. Right? They're going to find these guys. They don't need to stop preaching. Let's find people who can serve in these capacities. Faithful people. And we will, verse 4, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now I want to pause again because here's what I think is significant. Everybody in the body of Christ had their place to serve. They were all chosen. They were all appointed for a task. And the apostles knew their roles. Now, I was writing some things down that I thought was funny. But just think about it for a moment, even though it is. Could you imagine if Sunday morning we get up there and the announcement you know, video has stopped playing. And we're all looking around waiting for Evan to start leading us in worship. And Evan never shows up, and we discover he's actually in the nursery taking care of babies. Now, here's what we'd be thinking in that moment. Can Evan be in the nursery taking care of babies? Of course he can. He's got two of his own. He's done a fine job. He can take care of babies. He's proven that. It's not can he or would he. The question is how God's gifting him. Is that where he should be in that moment? Probably not, right? Or could you imagine if we showed up tonight, we got done eating, and everybody's splitting up to go their separate ways, and the youth get upstairs, and they can't find Corey. And so they look out the window, and Corey's cutting grass. Can Corey cut grass? Well, to be honest with you, somebody cuts it at his house, so I'm not sure, but I think he can. <laughs> I think he's fully capable to cut grass. That's not the issue. Would he? I think he would. Is that where he should be in the way that God's gifted him? Of course not. Could you imagine if the children are scattering about, which by the way, that's what they do. I've seen mine, even though I tried to avoid it. You imagine they're scurrying about, and everybody's looking for Miss Courtney. Where's Miss Courtney? We don't know what to do next. And we find her in the upstairs lobby, measuring out walls because she's about to start a painting project so that the lobby can look better. Can Courtney paint? Let me tell you something. I've seen her paint over the last few weeks. She can do it and do it in a hurry. Is that where she should be? No, she's got... Some different gifts than those. Could you imagine if you showed up on Sunday morning, Evan gets done with music, everybody's standing around waiting on somebody to preach, and everybody's thinking, man, we paid Danny for this. Where's he at right now, right? And instead, I'm out in the lobby because we've had 10 different visitors come in, and I'm trying to help them find where they need to be next. You say, Danny, you're good at welcoming visitors. I hope I am. Danny, do you enjoy that? I do. Can I? Yes. Is that where I should be? probably in that moment with the way in which God has wired and gifted me and called me to serve. Probably not. Now you say, Danny, that stuff is silly. I, I agree, but don't you see what I mean? They devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. They knew their roles. Do we know ours? See, Danny, it sounds so mean that they were like, no, we're not going to do this. You find somebody else to do it. It's not mean. They knew what was best for the church to move forward as everybody poured in using their gifts. 
Do we know ours? Do we know where we fit? Do we know how we've been uniquely designed to serve and help God's kingdom move forward? Look at verse 5 and 6. We'll keep going. We're almost there. And what they said, right? You find them. Let's select them. We'll keep worrying about prayer and ministry of the word. And so what they said pleased the whole gathering. Once again, I don't know how large this gathering is, but I can tell you right now, I've tried to please people before, and it's hard to do. So this worked. We need to listen if the gathering was pleased in this moment. All right? And they chose Stephen and Philip and Procris and Nicanor and Timon and Perminius and Nicholas. They chose all these guys. Then they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now here's what I think is beautiful in this moment. They may have been the ones who were physically present to choose on that day. But I want you to know something so important for us. God chose long before they did. God knew who was called and equipped and gifted for that person long before they selected these guys to do it. As a matter of fact, Paul pours out beautifully in the book of Ephesians all the ways in which he has called us and purposed us and gifted us. And before the foundation of the world was ever laid, he knew exactly where we should be and what we should be doing and how we should be loving others by serving him. He knew way before we did. Say, Danny, what do you mean? Listen to this. Ephesians 2.10. I won't read all of what I have. Let's move on. But let me read this one verse to you. He has created us anew. For we are God's masterpiece in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Like, just process that for a moment. You. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about every person in this room. You may believe it or you may not. You are God's masterpiece. You know what that word is in Greek? It's poema. You know what that means in English? Poem. You are God's canvas that He has painted His masterpiece on. And He has set you apart uniquely to serve Him. He's created you way before this moment for the good works that He wanted you to walk in. Listen, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this but you weren't just saved by Jesus in order to go to heaven when you die. Although, thankfully, you do get to do that. We're grateful that heaven is there. As a matter of fact, the only way to experience eternal life is through Jesus. But listen, God saved you. He chose you not just to be saved, but also to serve. Now, I want you to miss this last thing. All this stuff is good, right? The kingdom's expanding. Healthy churches, they experience growth. It's beautiful. Growth produces needs. That's obvious as, as complaints were, were, were growing and as, as needs were, were surfacing and more problems were available for new possibilities. It, it, it's all obviously there with what God was up to. But God, uniquely in His wisdom, provides every minister, every person who needs to be in that local body of Christ to take care of every need that arises. So you say, Danny, why is this so significant to me? I don't want you to miss this last one. The church grew even more because people who Luke refers to as the ministers, not pastors, were serving. You say, Danny, are you trying to get out of work? No. I love what I do. And I'm going to do it alongside of you whether you do it or not. 
We just call that American church at this point in my life. But you know what happens when it's not just paid staff who are doing things? You know what's happening? Uh, happens when the paid staff equips the members of the body, the, the saints of that local congregation, the ministers who are actually there, the members. You know what happens when they're equipped to do ministry? Let me tell you what happens. It comes in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It's one of my favorite moments in the early church. Yes, lots of awesome things happen in the beginning of Acts. This might be my favorite in verse 7. And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Please don't miss it. You say, Danny, that's awesome. The word continued to come and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Don't miss the verses before this. Why did they experience this multiplication? Was it because the, the 12 apostles were so incredible as communicators? No, we don't have a clue what they said. Is it because they were these outstanding leaders that everybody wanted to follow? We have no idea. Most of them, actually, what we know about them is, is laughable. I connect with them very well. What we know about this particular movement of God had nothing to do with those pastors. It had everything to do with the people who were there to serve. Could it be? that we too could see a number of the disciples multiplied greatly if we also found where God wanted us to be and began to serve. Just as a side note, by the way, if you read Acts 7 and 8, keep going. As the church continues to multiply, the first uh, missionary really that was sent out, the first martyr who dies for their faith, none of them are the apostles. You know what they are? They're some of these guys who are considered to be those who serve tables. Some of the most famous people in the book of Acts, they're not a part of the twelve. They weren't even leaders beyond this moment that they served widow's lunch. That was it. We remember Peter, we remember Paul, but I wonder how many names we'll never know that advanced the gospel. The church will never expand because of great pastors. The church will always expand because of great people, because of the body of Christ. What revival might we see in the church today if we functioned like the early church, knowing that every member is a minister? The question for you tonight is simple. Are you serving? You say, Danny, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to connect. Listen, I'd love to help you. you say, Danny, I don't know how I'm gifted. I don't know how I'm wired. I don't know where I should be. I'd love to help you. You say, Danny, I've got some ideas. I've got some things that I love. I've got some passions. I would love to help you. I tell you something right now, I'll be honest with you. There is nothing that you could come up and say to me tonight that you would like to do here that I would tell you that you can't do. Mostly. <laughs> Danny, I'd love to come help with this. We'd love for you to. Danny, I'm not, I don't really have a whole lot of this, but I love this. I'd love for you to help us with that. Danny, I've noticed some things that I don't really like. You might have some complaints, and they might be legitimate, because let me tell you something. We got some needs around here. Listen, how about don't complain about it anymore? How about come to me and say, Danny, I realize it's a need. Let me tell you how I can help you with it. Let me tell you how I can turn some of those problems into possibilities. You know what I need? I need possible people. That's what I need. Not impossible. I need possible people. What if that was us? What if we did that? What if we found what God desired of us and designed us to do, and we decided that that's exactly what we were going to focus on and we were going to move forward on? Listen, I'd love to connect you, but here's what I know. 
this church doesn't move forward because we've got a star-studded staff. By the way, let me let you in on something. We don't. We don't. They're great. I love them. I love me. But we're not. I could tell you probably five other churches in our area that have better staff than we do. But God may not move in those churches at all. And He may do everything here. Can I tell you why? It won't be because of the pastors. It will be because of the people. It will be because of the members of the body of Christ. Will we function together as He desires for us to function? Are you serving?